When it comes to experiencing something, I mean truly experiencing something, the only way for us to experience something and really know what that something is like is to go and do it ourselves. Let me give you an example. Give you an example. I have never been to the Grand Canyon. Never been to the Grand Canyon. Now, some of you in this room have been to the Grand Canyon. I have seen pictures of the Grand Canyon. In fact, when I go home to my parents' house, my dad has a beautiful photograph of the Grand Canyon in his office. So I've seen pictures of the Grand Canyon. In fact, I remember one time going to an IMAX movie at a museum, and they showed flyover pictures of the Grand Canyon on that massive screen with, the, with all the music and everything, a helicopter flying over the Grand Canyon, beautiful pictures that they took of that scene. And as I mentioned, my parents have been to the Grand Canyon, and they've told me all about it, told me what it looks like, told me what that experience was like, what they loved about it. And Lori and I have good friends. In fact, we had dinner with them last night. We have good friends that hiked the Grand Canyon, rim to rim. They descended down into the canyon. They spent the night on the canyon floor, and the next day they hiked out of the canyon. And when they first took that trip a few years ago, we spent hours and hours and hours them telling us what it was like what it was like to see the Grand Canyon, what it was like to, to hike it, the heat and the weight of their packs and, and spending the night on the Grand Canyon floor and hiking back out. They told us all about it. But if I was to stand up here this morning and say to you, because I've seen pictures and because I saw the movie and because I've talked to people who have been there, I know what it's like to experience the Grand Canyon. Those of you who have been here, there would say, no, no, no. You do not know what it's like to experience the Grand Canyon. Because when you're standing there looking over one of the most beautiful things on God's earth, the view, the, 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 the expanse of everything that's there is, is far beyond anything that you could capture in a photograph, anything that you could capture in a movie, or anything that could be captured in words. If you really want to experience it, you have to go there for yourself. And there's all sorts of things like that in life that we can hear people talk about them and we can hear them explained and maybe we can read about them and we can see pictures of them. But for it to be our experience, the only way for it to be our experience is to actually go and to see it or go and to live it or go and to do it. There's an old quote that I've heard attributed to a number of people and I'm not sure who said it first. But the quote says, when you want to experience something new, Go do something new. And it's very simple, but that's the truth. If you want to experience something new, you have to go and do it. You can't read about it, and you can't, you can't just think about it, and you can't just hear other people talk about it. If you want to experience something, you have to go and do it yourself. There's another old quote that you know and I know. Practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. And that quote reminds us that if we want to grow in something, that we actually have to do it over and over and over again. If you want to become an accomplished piano player, you can't just listen to Beethoven and Mozart and Bach, and that's all I know. You can't just listen <laughs> to that. And you can't just read a piano theory book. You actually have to go and practice and practice and practice and experience it for yourself. And the only way to become accomplished is over time, experience after experience after experience. If you want to grow in anything, you have to experience it for yourself. Before I was uh, working full-time at the church, I had a job. I'd just gotten out of seminary, and I had a job, and I was working in like a, an assembly line factory environment. 
And I was uh, managing a line of, of people in this, in this environment. And one day, the suits and ties came down from their lofty perches down to the floor. And they came to me and they said, we think that you should consider uh, changing from the operation into a job in uh, sales. We would like for you to consider becoming an exe account executive in the company and you'll take our products and services and you'll go out to other businesses and you'll sit with the decision makers and you'll, you'll sell the products and the services. And there was something about that that was very unnerving to me because, I mean, surprise, surprise, in my Bible degree and seminary degree, not a lot of business and sales classes were covered. And so I didn't feel equipped to go and do the work. And I remember saying to them uh, in, the, in that moment that I don't know that, that I'm your guy because I don't know that I have the experience that you're looking for. The only other sale, selling I had done was I was a telemarketer in high school. And that was much more practice of being hung up on than selling. <laughs> and so I didn't really have the experience, the sales experience. So I said, I'm not sure that I'm your guy. And they looked at me and they said, it pays more. And I looked at them and said, I'm your guy. <laughs> But I didn't really have the knowledge. They took me and they put me through training, weeks of training. They gave me a stack of books to read on selling. We watched videos in the training and I had to follow shadow other salespeople and I had to shadow my manager um, for a few weeks to try to learn what it's like to sell. And so I did all of that. I took the classes and I walked through the whole training and I read the books and I followed other people while, while they made sales. But there is something very different about the first time that you walk into someone's office and you are the sales person. And the only way that I could get better at it, the only way that I could grow, the only way that I could learn, and the only way that we can get better at anything is not just like hearing other people talk about it, not just reading books about other people doing something, but for ourselves to go and experience it over and over again. When the disciples were walking with Jesus on this earth, Jesus was doing a couple of things. Not only was he going around and he was uh, doing the work that he was called to do while he was on this earth. He was healing and he was teaching and he was leading and he was guiding and he was, he was touching the people that were there. He was also, during that entire time, preparing his disciples because he knew one day he wasn't going to be there and they would have to carry on the work. One day he knew he was going to be gone. He was going to be back in heaven with his father. And the only people that would be left to carry on the work were his disciples. So as he's going and as he's healing and as he's teaching, all the while he is training his disciples because one day the work will be their job. And very early on in the gospel of Mark, and if you've been with us over the last few months, you know that's the gospel we've been walking through. We're still early on in the Gospel of Mark. And early on in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus does something to his disciples that seems really out of place. It seems like maybe it's not the right time for it. But Jesus is working on his disciples and teaching them what it means to do the work themselves. And this morning, as we look at what Jesus did to his disciples in this passage and how he taught them and how he prepared them, I want us to consider the fact 
that Jesus prepares us in the very same way to do the work that he calls us to do. We're reading just a few short verses in the Gospel of Mark this morning. It's Mark chapter 6, and we're starting verse 7, and we'll read to verse 13. If you were with us last week, you know that the last thing that's happened in the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus went home. Jesus went home with all the, with all the, the, the expectations that this would be a great homecoming. And his disciples followed him back to Nazareth, his hometown. And people that had known him for his entire life were there. And his family was there. And so he walked into that hometown of Nazareth. And if you remember what happened last week, everyone rejected him. Family, friends sent him away. And so he went and taught in the villages of Galilee. And then this happens. And Jesus called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. And gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. But to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony Against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. I want to talk briefly about what Jesus does with his disciples here, and then I want to talk about why he does it and what it means for us. There's four things that Jesus does with his disciples when he calls them together. This is the first time that Jesus is sending the disciples out of the nest, so to speak. Up until this point, they've always been with Jesus. They've followed him around. They've seen what Jesus has done. And so Jesus brings them together and he says, I want you to go. I want you to go and do this on your own. Pair up with six pairs and go and do this work on your own. Everything that you've been watching me do, I now want you to go and do. And he says something else to them. He says, I am giving you the authority to go and do this. I am giving you the authority to go and to teach, and the authority to go and to heal, and the authority to go and to cast out demons. In the Jewish world, it was considered... um, normal, that someone who's a teacher, someone who's in charge, could give authority to someone underneath them or one of their disciples to go and represent them in a different place. So what Jesus is saying to the disciples is, I'm giving you the authority to be my representation so that when you walk into a town or you walk into a village, it's just like I'm there. It's just like I'm there. Go preach the same message. Go do the same thing. All the authority that I have, I am giving to you that you would be my representation in that place. It's somewhat like what we do with with a power of attorney, right? 
We give authority to someone else to represent us when a decision has to be made or when something has to be signed, and we may not be there to be able to do it ourselves. We give them the authority to go and do it on our behalf. And when they're in the room signing the document or when they're in the room making the decision, it's just as if we are there in that room making the decision or signing the document. Jesus does a similar thing, the very last thing he says in the Gospel of Matthew before he ascends into heaven. It's called the Great Commission, and maybe you've heard it before. The very last thing he says, he's, he's died, he's risen from the dead, and he has his, his followers in front of him. He says this, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. And he says a very similar thing. All authority has been given to me and I am passing it on to you to go into, <clears throat> excuse me, to go and to be my representatives wherever you are. But then he does something very odd to his disciples. He says, go as my representatives, but on this journey, as you're traveling from village to village through the middle of the desert with nothing in between, there's no rest stop between villages, there's no exit where they can pull off and fill up and get something to eat and drink. The second thing that he does is he says, go with my authority, but he says, take nothing with you. Take nothing with you. In fact, all you should take is a stick and the clothes on your back and some shoes. That's it. Don't take any money. Don't take any food. Don't take anything else with you. I mean, imagine if you were going on a plane this afternoon and the person that you were traveling with got to the airport and you said to them, uh, what do you bring on the trip? And they said, well, just this stick and the clothes I have on. You say, well, what else do you bring? They say, nothing. And you say, you have no money? No, I'm not bringing any money. Do you have any luggage? No, I don't have any luggage. Uh, do you have an itinerary? Well, I don't really have a plan. I'm going to go places, and then I'm going to stay there until the people kick me out. <laughs> Listen, I would really suggest, just as a side note, don't travel like that, because the TSA, that's like a red flag. That's all the red flags for the TSA, all right? That's a slam dunk TSA throw you in jail for the day. No money, no luggage, no plan. All right, just a stick. That's, don't travel like that. But Jesus, Jesus tells his disciples to go with nothing. Take nothing with you. And that had to be a very radical thing for the disciples to try and wrap their minds around. I mean, nothing, from village to village, these are not short walks through the desert. And it gets cold at night. And when it gets cold at night out there in the middle of nowhere, that extra tunic would be pretty helpful. And he says, don't just not take anything with you. As you go, rely completely on the kindness of strangers. That to me is a very daunting thing. I can't rely on the kindness of strangers to let me into traffic on 95, <laughs> much less come and stay in their house and eat. And he says, just rely on the kindness of strangers. In 2008, Time Magazine ran an article about a man named Mark Boyle. Mark Boyle is from England. And he had two friends that they made a New Year's resolution on January 1st, 2008, that they were going to walk from Britain 
to India. 9,000 miles they were going to walk that year. And they were going to do it with no money and only on the kindness of strangers. So in January, they, hiked up, they, they laced up their hiking boots and they set out. Now, I don't know if you know what the map looks like, but they got as far as France before they had to turn around and go home. France, I mean, there's some water they got across there, but France is the next country over. They didn't get very far at all. They got a couple of hundred miles before they were so tired and so hungry and so broke that they turned around and went home. And in the article in Time Magazine, Mark said, everyone was just suspicious of us. We were trying to prove the goodness of humanity by doing this trip. But all we proved is that people are very suspicious of strangers. And I can just imagine the disciples in their mind that Jesus now is, is sending them out two by two with nothing. And they have to rely on the kindness of strangers. And you can just hear their minds going, can't you? How in the world are we going to go out with nothing? And by the way, the last town we went in was your hometown, Jesus, and they kicked us out. So what are we supposed to? We're supposed to just walk in and be your representatives with no money and no food. What, how are we supposed to do this? And never mind the fact that they're really not ready for this. This is chapter 6 of Mark. There's a lot yet to come. They haven't done that much yet. They've followed Jesus for a very short amount of time. They've seen Jesus heal a few people. They've seen Jesus tell a few parables. They've had Jesus speak to them privately a couple of times. They are not prepared at all for this. They need a couple more classes. They need to watch a little bit more. They're not ready for this at all. And Jesus says, go, because Jesus knows this about his disciples. He knows that his disciples will never truly grow unless they go. He knows his disciples will never truly grow up into the people that God has created them to be and God wants them to be unless they go. Unless they go. And unless they for themselves experience what it is like to preach the message of God and see people healed and see people repent and see people come to new life. Unless they go with nothing and they see God provide when they have no other way. And unless they go with no plan and see how God opens up doors for them to stay and sees how God provides for them when they're in need and see how God brings together relationships that could have happened no other way. Unless they go and unless they experience this thing for themselves, they will never grow into the people they need to be. As long as Jesus does the ministry, as long as Jesus is the one doing the teaching, as long as Jesus is the one doing the healing, as long as he's the one doing all of the work, the disciples will remain stagnant in their growth because at the end of the day, the only way to truly grow and to truly uh, become experienced is to go and do it yourself. Jesus didn't stop telling his people to go after the disciples. He still tells us to go today. Tells us to go under his authority and to do the work. Tells us as his followers to go and to do his work. He hasn't stopped doing that. The call is the same. But there's something that happens 
in the world of the church that I think is stopping us from really going and really growing the way that God wants us to. You know that in our culture at large, not just church, I'm not talking about the church, I'm talking about culture at large right now, there is this thing that's happening uh, in our country, in our culture, maybe in Western culture as a whole, but definitely in the United States of America, there's this thing that's happening, and, and uh, it's termed by different people different things, but it, it's called prolonged adolescence by some, it's called extended adolescence by others, and you know what we're talking about. We know that this is happening in, in, our, in our culture, that we are waiting longer and longer to do certain things. We wait longer in our, in our culture now to do things like get married. We wait longer in our culture now to have kids. We, do, we wait longer for these things. And I said to someone uh, just the other day, I said, one thing that was great about college is college is this perfect blend, right, in your mind when you're that age between uh, total freedom and, and no real responsibility, right? That's why college is so dangerous. But it's true. My schedule in college was class for an hour and PlayStation for 20 hours, right? That, that's college. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. And what happens is we get into this place, we get into this place, right, where we get freedom and we don't have to yet take on a lot of responsibility and we want to stay in that place for as long as we can. So if we can hang out with people that will help out with the responsibility piece and continue to remain in that place so they do all the responsibility stuff and we get to enjoy the freedom of adulthood, we want to extend that as long as possible, Right? And this isn't really a comment on what's happening in our culture, but I think spiritually the same thing happens. I think that as we grow up in the faith, often we get ourselves into a place where we want to experience the benefits of knowing God, the love, the acceptance, the forgiveness, the joy of knowing Him. But what we're not really prepared to do is to necessarily go out and do the work that He calls us to do. We are happy to be caught in a place where we can come and we can try and enjoy all the good things of God without having to take the responsibility that God calls us to in our lives. And we try to stay in this place where we, we can enjoy the good things, but not necessarily have to go out and do all of those other things, not necessarily apply the Bible to our lives on a daily basis, not necessarily read it for ourselves, not pray for ourselves, not give ourselves, not serve ourselves. We just hang out and put ourselves with people that do all that stuff. And we figure as long as we can kind of hitch our wagon to their star, that we can get the benefits, but they can go ahead and do all the work. And so we put ourselves in situations where other people read the Bible and then we just show up and just say, all right, you tell me what it says. And other people pray, and rather than um, pray ourselves, we just go to them and say, hey, I need you to pray for this. And rather than go and do the work, we try to keep ourselves in this area where we can, we can get the benefits without having to go and do the work. The problem with being in that place is you never will know what it's like 
to truly grow up in the Lord, to truly know him, to truly experience him, to truly be his son or daughter, to truly be a man or a woman of God, we'll never know what it's like to grow in Christ as long as we stay in that place. As long as we're not willing to go, as long as we're not willing to serve, as long as we're not willing to apply, as long as we try to stay in this place, we will be in a place where we will never truly grow. We will hear about the great things that God does, but we'll never experience in them for ourselves. I think that many of us, many of us want to go. We want to. It's not like we don't want to go. It's not like we don't want to apply what God's saying to our lives. We just feel like we're right where the disciples were. We feel like, man, we don't have the authority to do it. We feel like we don't have the resources to do it. We feel like we don't have a good plan to do it. And we feel like, we feel like uh, we're just not ready. We're like, God, I would love to go. I would love to do what you're calling me to do. I would love to take the next step in my growth with you. I would love to know you more, but I don't feel prepared. I don't have the resources. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the provision. And once I figure all that out, God, I will go. But what Jesus says to his disciples is, you don't need the authority in yourself to go. I'll give you the authority. It's my authority you go with. And if you don't feel like you have the resources, just go and I will provide. And if you don't feel like you have a good plan, keep going and I'll make sure that you're okay. And you're ready because you're not going on your own. You're going because I've sent you. Every time I look out at that Family Life Center building, you've been with us over five years, you, you know the journey. We started that project because we felt like God told us to go. Go and do something that will help reach more of the community. And so we came together and said, okay, God, we will go. And we thought we had a plan. And we thought we had all the resources and we thought we knew how it was going to go. And if you weren't with us, man, we hit a big bump in the road. And I won't go into it all, but that foundation sat out there for over a year. Every time we drove in here, it was just a cement slab. We at least used to have a beautiful field, and then we just had a cement slab that we couldn't go on. And we didn't have any resources and for a little while there, we didn't know what our plan was. But we kept going because God told us to go. Because God told us to go. And so we kept going. And God provided the resources. And God made a plan that was better than any plan that we could have come up with. And now we've experienced God's blessings, not just the blessings of a new building, but we've grown in the Lord because we were willing to walk through and we were willing to go even when we didn't have it all figured out. And now we're going to go and we're going to plant a congregation in Belmont. And I'm not sure exactly how it's all going to work out. All I know is that God told us to go. And the board said that God told us to go. And the church came together and said God told us to go. So we are going. And we're in the middle of it. And I don't know how God's going to provide, but I promise you God's going to provide. And I don't know what the plan is, but I promise you God has the best plan. 
And I know that he has called us to go and to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we don't go under our own authority. We go under his authority. And I wonder in your life this morning, where is God telling you to go? Where is he telling you to go? And maybe you sit here this morning, you say, honestly, I live a double life. I'm one way in church world and I'm another way in the rest of the world. And God's telling you this morning, I want you to go and live consistently. And you say, God, I, you know, I'm going to experience rejection and I'm not sure that I can do it. And I'm not sure what the plan is. And God says, listen, go and live consistently. Go and do what I say. Go and live the way I'm calling you to live. And I will provide. And I'll give you the direction. And I'll give you the strength. And if they reject, if people reject you, they're really rejecting me because you're going under my authority. Maybe this morning God's telling you to go and to pick up this book for yourself and to read it for yourself. And not just listen to other people talk about it all the time, but to actually open up the pages and see what God might have to say to you. This morning, go. Go and read. Go and pray. Go and give. Go and serve. And I don't know where God is telling you to go. Maybe he's telling you to go and forgive. Maybe he's telling you to go and repent. I don't know what God is telling you to go and do. But all those excuses that are stopping you from going, all the things that you, that you hear inside, I'm not ready, and I don't have the resources, and I don't have a good plan, and I don't have enough knowledge to go and be a, a godly person. All these other God people have so much knowledge, and they know their Bible so much better. Just go and do what God is calling you to do, and he will provide. And I'm telling you, the only way to grow, the only way to grow in God is to go. There's no other way. The only way to grow is to go. Classes are great. Sermons are great. Teaching from all sorts of of different venues is great. But to truly grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and who he is, the only way to do it is to get up and go and do what he's calling you to do. I'm going to invite our worship team forward as we close this morning. And just to ask you, if you would, just to bow your head and close your eyes with me. And I don't know what it is that God may be asking you to go and do today. But I would encourage you in these moments that we have right now that you would say just between you and the Lord, God, I don't know how it's all going to work out. And I don't have all the resources and I don't have all the knowledge, but I know you're calling me to go. And so, Lord, this morning I'm committing to you that I am going to go and do what you're asking me to do because I want to know you and I want to grow in you And I want to be the man or woman of God that you have created me to be. God, we thank you this morning that it's not up to us. It's not up to our wisdom. It's not up to our ability to provide. It's not up to our authority or our our ingenuity. But God, the things of your kingdom... 
the things that are most important in this world, all of those things are ultimately up to you. And so this morning we say that we trust you. Lord, this morning we say that we are going to go, not because we're smart and resourceful and have it all figured out. We're going to go because you call us to, because you've told us to. And we're going to live the lives that you've called us to live by your grace, by your grace, and by your authority, and by your power. Live as you've called us to live. Lord, we want to know you more. We want to know you like never before and to grow in our relationship with you. And so, Lord, we will go. And as we do, we trust. We will experience you like never before. We thank you for that truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and let's experience worshiping our God together this morning.